Japanese arbitrations are on the rise. The Texas Supreme Court weighs in on arbitrator authority, English arbitration statistics, and a keynote speech from Wendy Miles. All this and more on Disputes Digest. Before we get into this week's episode, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and share the show with a friend or colleague. It helps others find the show. Then to our first story. In today's news, we dive into the world of energy arbitration and its effect on Japanese companies. A recent article published on the Kluwer Arbitration blog and an article by Ashley Chandler and Masaki Kawasaki highlights the growing trend of energy arbitration cases involving Japanese corporations and discusses the key takeaways from their recent experiences. From over the last few years, Japanese companies have seen a significant increase in their involvement in international energy arbitration. The spike can be attributed to globalization of the energy market and Japan's rising status as a major energy consumer and investor. As a result, Japanese companies have been more frequently entering into complex cross-border transactions, which inevitably come with disputes and the need for arbitration. Some of the most notable cases include the ongoing disputes between JERA, JIRA, a Japanese energy company, and Indian firm GMR Energy Limited, as well as the case between Mitsui and Company, a Japanese conglomerate, and the Malaysian national oil company, Petronas. These companies showcase the intricate nature of energy arbitration disputes and the importance of specialized knowledge in this field. An emerging trend among Japanese companies is their increasing reliance on international arbitral institutions such as the Singapore International Arbitration Center, SEAC, and the International Chamber of Commerce, ICC. By utilizing these institutions, Japanese corporations can streamline the dispute resolution process and access experienced arbitrators who are familiar with the energy sector. However, despite this growing trend, there are still challenges faced by Japanese companies in energy arbitration. One such challenge is the perceived lack of expertise among Japanese counsel in this specialized field, making it crucial for them to collaborate with foreign firms to effectively navigate the complexities of energy arbitration. In conclusion, the rising trend of energy arbitration cases involving Japanese companies highlights the importance of adapting to the globalized energy market and the need for specialized expertise. As Japanese companies in the greater economy continue to expand their international presence in the energy sector, it is essential for them to develop a robust understanding of energy arbitration practices and collaborate with experienced foreign counsel when necessary. Then from there, let's head over to Texas, where in a recent development, the Texas Supreme Court ruled that when parties choose the AAA commercial arbitration rules, arbitrators have the power to decide on their jurisdiction and courts do not have the authority to make these decisions initially. This decision aligns Texas law with the majority position in federal circuits and other state apex courts, resolving previous uncertainty in Texas courts. The Total Energies ENP USA Inc. versus MP Gulf of Mexico LLC case stems from a dispute between two energy companies over a series of contracts related to the ownership of interest in oil and gas leases. A disagreement arose when MP Gulf demanded $41 million for costs associated with a drilling project that Total EMP chose not to participate in. Total EMP refused to pay and sued MP Gulf, arguing that their cost-sharing agreement did not have an arbitration clause and that the legal disputes were under the exclusive jurisdiction of Harris County Courts. 
MP Gulf countered that the arbitration clause in the system operating agreement applied and that the AAA commercial arbitration rules delegated the issue of arbitrability to an arbitrator. The Texas Supreme Court agreed with MP Gulf, ruling that the parties clearly and unmistakably delegated arbitrability issues to the arbitrator. This meant that a general reference to the AAA commercial arbitration rules is sufficient to incorporate the specific rules of the AAA, including Rule 7a's grant of primary authority to the arbitrator to decide issues of arbitrability. This decision helps avoid the potential need for Texas-specific language to delegate arbitrability exclusively to arbitrators, making the process more efficient and less cumbersome. With the majority of justices in agreement, Total EMP and MP Gulf are likely to return to arbitration to resolve their disputes. Then let's hop across the pond to England, where the Judiciary of England and Wales has released its annual commercial report for 2021 and 2022. These riveting reports provide a peek into the exciting world of the court. And for those arbitration enthusiasts following along, they offer fascinating insight into the number of applications made to challenge arbitral awards in England. The commercial court has reported a whopping 25% of its claims involve matters arising from arbitration. These claims range from applications to challenge arbitral awards to injunctions and enforcement of awards. The report provides an array of statistics for challenges made under Sections 67, 68, and 69 of the Arbitration Act 1996 during the 2021 to 2022 year. The report also confirms a significant increase in challenges under both Section 67 and 68, with a slight uptick in challenges under Section 69. However, there was a surprising decrease in applications under Section 44. The report also reveals the outcomes of these challenge applications, showing that most claims under Section 69 either were dismissed or denied permission to proceed. Now, you may be wondering about the success rates for these challenges. While we don't have the numbers for 2021 to 2022 yet, the success rate for 2020 to 21 year was quite low. This highlights the English court's commitment to ensuring the finality of arbitral awards and only overturning tribunal decisions in truly exceptional cases. So the major takeaway, the world of arbitration in England and Wales has seen a significant increase in challenges under Section 67 and 68 of the Arbitration Act, but the success remains low. What does this mean in practical terms or in the future of English arbitration? We'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, let's raise a glass to the robust approach of the English court and eagerly await the impact for future changes on the commercial court caseload and statistics. Then we'll stay in the UK where King's Counsel Wendy Miles of 20 Essex recently delivered a keynote speech at the 8th Annual European Federation for Investment Law and Arbitration Conference. Miles argued that investment arbitration is not the enemy of a net zero economy, but we need to rethink its role to truly deliver social justice. Miles doesn't see investment law as inherently at odds with environmental challenges. While the Energy Charter Treaty and Investor State Dispute Settlement ISDS, have been criticized as obstacles to achieving the Paris Agreement goals, Miles believes that mobilizing all legal instruments in a collective way is necessary for transitioning to a net zero world. In a rallying cry for the investment arbitration community, Miles urged them to act as drivers for social change in line with the Paris goals. She noted that international protection of property was a key element in the earliest days of investment law and attempting to build a new model of social justice without it could have unintended consequences. Miles also addressed the questions of financing the Paris Agreement goals. She said that just the transition requires a huge financial investment to replace fossil fuels with renewable energy and a small 
and medium-sized businesses, SMEs, will play a critical role. She pointed out that the current investment law framework doesn't adequately address the needs of many actors, including SMEs in developing countries, who will bear the cost of the transition. So, according to Miles, investment arbitration world, it's time to step up, reflect on how investment law can drive social change, and work together to make the legal and the literal world a better place. And now for our final story of the day, where we talk about businesses growing increasingly interconnected and disputes between parties inevitably arising. In the realm of arbitration, the Cout Food case provides a fascinating insight into the autonomy and independence of the arbitration clause, even when the express will of the parties is absent. It raises a thought-provoking question, to what extent can an arbitration clause govern the relationship between contracting parties? The Cout Food case involves the dispute between Cout Food Group Restaurants, UK Limited, Cout Food, and Tarek Investments Limited, Tarek. Cout Food argued that an arbitration clause in one contract should apply to another related contract between the same parties, even though the latter contract did not expressly contain the arbitration clause. Tarek disagreed, asserting that the parties had intended the contract to be separate. The English High Court, through the expert lens of Justice Cockrell, delved into the depths of arbitration principles and found a favor of Cal Food. The court determined that the arbitration clause in the first contract did, in fact, apply to disputes arising under the second contract. The case brought to light the concept of the separability of the arbitration clause, which refers to the ability of an arbitration clause to survive independently from the main contract in which it is embedded. In making her decision, Justice Cockerell emphasized the importance of considering the party's intention and commercial realities of their relationship. The two contracts in question were clearly intertwined, both commercially and functionally. Therefore, it was reasonable to infer that the parties intended for the arbitration clause to apply to both contracts, even though they did not explicitly express this intention. This case serves as a reminder of the inherent flexibility and adaptability of arbitration as a dispute resolution mechanism. It highlights the importance of looking beyond the text of the contract to understand the true nature of the party's intention in the broader context of their relationship. As with so many aspects of life, the story that unfolds in the Cow Food case teaches us that sometimes, in arbitration and beyond, it is what remains unspoken that carries the most significant impact. And that's it for Disputes Digest this week. A big shout out to the editing team over at MoBeta Solutions who have done a ton of work to bring this all together this week along with some additional work behind the scenes. So hats off to you guys. You've earned it. Thanks for tuning in this week, dear listeners, and we will see y'all next week. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.